Morning, everyone. So, today we're going to be talking about our difficult questions that we have um, about the world, about God, about whatever it ends up being. So, there's going to be, thank you, uh, up here we have this slide where uh, you can, you are going to text the number up there, 22333. And the, the message in your text is going to be indirect to R057. So, you know, that's nice. Um, it's a nice thing to say. Um, and once you text that message to that number, then you will be like in the system and you can text your messages, your questions, uh, personal complaints about, uh, about Garrett or Jim specifically. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> no, uh, you can text your questions in. Um, and, uh, we'll be, I'll be getting them here on my phone. I won't just be texting up here. I'm sure I'll be doing that too, but, um, and, uh, so go ahead. We're going to take a minute, uh, for everybody to pull out your phone and message, uh, that message to that number, or if that doesn't work, then go to that link there and, uh, start sending in questions. We have a few, uh, gathered here from last time we filled out difficult questions cards that we'll get started with. But uh, I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be watching for your questions. So, um, there we go. Okay, so we're going to start with uh, one today that I'm just going to throw out to everybody. Why does the Bible feel like it's written in code? Why do we have to guess at what it means so often? And why is it so hard to understand? Oh, I should have definitely introduced you guys. Okay, cool. <laughs> Give us a minute to think. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, okay. No, we'll try. Uh, and that was the morning, everyone. Go. May you go in peace. <laughs> um, okay. Life is difficult and appear to you. So, yeah, so, of course, it's a historical document. You might as well say, why is Shakespeare hard to understand, you know, or why is any ancient text or document hard to understand. We don't have the same historical context. You know, uh, I remember one of my professors in seminary said that, uh, um, he said it offhandedly, he said like, he said people spend an entire lifetime and write dissertations on topics that any 15-year-old slave girl could have told you in five minutes, such as why do they wash their feet? How do they prepare for dinner? How do people greet each other in the marketplace? You know, all these cultural things that scholars spend a And it would be the same as anybody 2,000 years from now studying our culture as well. So it's difficult. It's also redacted. Uh, I'm so happy if I can use the word redacted these days. Maybe that's what it's talking about. What are you talking about? You know, five years ago, nobody knew what redacted meant. It means it's stuff that they black out on legal documents. Uh, so, um, or emails. And uh, so it's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, the rest of the authors, they all wrote it. So the code kind of comes through in how they've spun the text a little bit to tell a particular story, you know, like what's Matthew's audience, Garrett? Do you think it's, 
-hmm. sort of audience. Mm -hmm. uh, crazy enough, you know, John is actually written more to Jews as well, which seems so strange because it's so different than the other Gospels. So, anyway, so anyway, you know, and Mark's a doctor, right? You know, but um, yeah, so they all kind of have a spin. I think it's yeah. the reason why it's hard to understand. I'll just add on to that. I think that Scripture is written. Um, also, it was written for in a culture for its time, but it, I think of it more like, um, and my seminary professor would say this as well, that it's a scrapbook. It's, remember when that was kind of in to be crafty and do all your scrapbooks, now we're all digitized, but it's a scrapbook, and when you show someone your scrapbook and tell the story of what happened in a certain vacation or a certain, you know, family event at the time, you're seeing certain pictures of that, and you can see what, you know, you wrote about that, but you don't really know all the different viewpoints of everyone in the picture, right? And so we're getting to snapshots of things that happened in history, um, and we're not really seeing the videotape of what really happened and the fights in the background and all the things that are going on. So we, since we can't see it all, God leaves that to discernment and to the community to help discern scripture together so if it's really difficult for you i'm always going to push community guys get into a group and figure out what it means together because that's when you know group think really works and the spirit the holy spirit i'll add one quick thing to this because i have i had lots of time to think about it that um i i think like god loves humanity and he created things, like things like culture and language, like these were his ideas. And he chose, when he came, when he chose to like came to earth, he came as a human. So I think it just makes sense that like, honestly, as messy and complicated as it makes things for God to reveal himself to us through human language and human culture and these very specific things, this is an act of God's love for humanity. Um, and the reality is he continues to do that. He didn't stop revealing himself to humanity. This is just, the, this is the documents that we've chosen to say, like, we continue to find God in these documents. We continue to find God in these writings through a very specific human way of God relating to man. Okay, uh, I thought this was a good one. Anybody, I just, I don't want to, don't want to cut anybody off. Okay, cool. I was brought up uh, believing that as Christians, we would be taken away in the rapture. I understand this isn't how Lakeland believes things will happen. So how will that look for us as believers? Will we need to prepare our families to understand not taking the mark of the beast and things like that relating to the book of Revelation? Yeah, good. That's good. That's a great question. Um, so uh, the rapture theology became very popular in the 1800s. Uh, now they read back into older stuff and, and said that earlier folks believed in it, but that's really not historically accurate. Um, anybody not know what the rapture is and need a quick definition? Give it anyway. All right. It's, it's a belief that Christ will uh, return invisibly, and uh, all folks who believe in Christ will disappear suddenly, physically, and then leave um, the unbelieving world an, another certain number of years, and, and 
there's three different versions of that story. Uh, and then he'll come and do a final resurrection. So basically three comings for Christ. His first one right, Christmas, right? And then the invisible one at the rapture and then a third one. So, right, Lakeland doesn't really teach that. We teach just the second coming. So what will that look like? Uh, well, we don't really know what it will look like. Um, but uh, we get lots of images in the Bible, returning with the sound of a trumpet, as obvious to the world as lightning flashing across the sky, uh, coming to gather up all the faithful, um, coming to, for resurrection bodies, um, to establish a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. Look, uh, behold, I'm making all things new. So there it is. The word rapture doesn't actually occur in Scripture, and most people who teach rapture readily admit that. So we don't have this kind of intermediate step where people disappear and there's mass chaos and, and all that sort of thing. So what do we do with uh, things like uh, tribulation? Uh, our interpretation of Scripture is we're living in it right now. Um, you may have noticed a certain amount of mass chaos that's been going on. Uh, continually for the last 2,000 years as we await Christ's return. So in our interpretation of things, you're in the tribulation as we speak. Um, The mark of the beast would be uh, anything that causes you to align yourself with some sort of state or religious entity that denies Christ and make your allegiance to that over and above Christ. And as it says, the only place the Antichrist is mentioned is John's letters. And John tells his readers, and realize he's telling them this in the year about 95. He tells them, now you've heard the Antichrist has come. And I tell you that many Antichrists have come and many are in the world right now. That's from scripture. Um, and so he's saying this, these temptations to swear allegiance to this or that over Christ, that's happened many times. It's happening in many instances right now. And yes, you should resist that. So um, it's, it's anything that, uh, well, if anyone says Jesus is not Lord, that one is an antichrist. That's also from scripture. So that's what you're teaching your children to avoid. You're teaching them to avoid it right now and to teach their children to avoid it in their generation and so on. And so we try to do that in our preaching all the time here. And then Christ will return. We will be resurrected and there will be a new kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth. I hope I've answered that. Yeah, okay. Well, anybody can add to it. That's why we do church. We're here to be part of the kingdom of God. It starts now. So this is a, a very interesting one. Most of the people Jesus forgave of their sins weren't specifically seeking forgiveness, but something else. Healing, exorcism, wisdom. Will God similarly forgive folks now who don't specifically seek forgiveness. I think that's going to be a matter of the heart of that person that God breeds and we can't. Uh, I am one that, uh, I, here's what I liked. I liked uh, several years ago, uh, one of our musicians, Jason, uh, he said that he never had a, a, uh, a fantastic conversion story like some people have. You know, like, you know, I came out of the alley dark and all that stuff. And so he said, I, as far as I know, I was, I was saved in A.D. 33. Otherwise, you know, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Guess what? Everybody was saved. The whole world, past, present, and future, was saved on that day 
you know, from actually, from my viewpoint, from his birth to his ascension, his whole incarnation saved us. So, that's a yes or no question. God can God can discern the heart, and you know whether we have the knowledge to ask forgiveness or not, but need it. He knows that. I mean, Jesus on the cross cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing um, to the people who are literally murdering him. So uh, I don't think any of us know specifically what that's going to look like. But uh, it, as this question stated, it seems pretty clear that the, the order of things is God forgives us and, and then we do something about that. Um, I still think, you know, I'm probably different than Jim and maybe some of the rest of you guys up here because, you know, um, I grew up Baptist and then I became a Calvinist in college, you know, which was really cool. It's all about the sovereignty of God. So I still have a, a core, a spine in me that is uh, grounded in atonement, mm-hmm. effectual call, general call, you know. So I still have um, a large theological construct about the... Um, the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Uh, so sin becomes an interesting topic in that kind of mix. You know, I, I think I think it's interesting these days how much we go to the... I, I'm going to go somewhere else with it, okay? So I think it's interesting these days that we tend to cling to therapy, so to speak, or we have mental health, or we have a lot of science, basically, and uh, what we find in the ancients, and of course they didn't have our same interpretation of the last 200 years of science, is they find it as sin. And I think at Jesus' time, you know, they defined it as sin. So you're saying, so is depression sin? Like, no. No, it isn't. But it isn't also just depression. You know what I mean? It isn't just like, why would we even need to be here if everything's just mental health? You know what I mean? Like, and besides that, mental health changes every few years. Just another study comes out, and then they change their entire attitude about what's a causation of something. And I think for Christianity, it's like the first thing to go check on is sin, you know, is like, and to be forgiven for it. So, yeah, they weren't seeking sin, but Jesus pulled that out right away, you know, in various places. He also pulled out forgiveness right away, you know. Um, but he tended to call things the way they were. And I, I think that's an interesting thing. He would immediately start with, what is your relationship with God? What's, let's start right there. How close, distant, separated are you? And Jesus, of course, going around declaring, I'm here. I am the incarnation of God. I am here. I now make this pronouncement. That's what the Pharisees went after him for. They're like, who are you? Who do you think you are going around making these kind of declarations? He says, well, I am you know, the presence of God. I am, you know, that. So I think sin was an important thing for Jesus to clarify. I, I'm just simply saying, I think today we would say like, well, in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual version 5, what you have is a 9463, you know, and, and it'd be like, and, you know, and then we're just going to kind of work on it progressively. Whereas Jesus comes in and says, you have a sin issue. It needs to be dealt with with God. And you will experience grace. It is a free gift that changes your identity. I just think that's an important deal. So I have a little bit of a... Yeah, I relate to the folks in Scripture in that 
I also reached out to God for something else. I needed him to help me with something else. But he did pretty quickly work the conversation around with me to sin, repentance, and forgiveness. So I kind of see that story in those stories. And I would just add that I think getting to the heart of that question, which I think if I'm reading into it well, I might be reading too much into this, is that we do a lot of thought and conversation about who is in and who is out and who's got, who is God going to accept. And, and that's really not for us to call. It's really not. We really want to know. And, and I think it's out of a heart of love for people that we really want to make sure that they're going to be with us in heaven. And I think God knows those things, and and we're just called to speak truth and and love others. That's real simple to say if you have a hurting relative or someone that's suffering and just seems to make bad decisions over and over again. But God is still chasing them down. So we have to be really, really um, noticers on the part that we play in their lives. So know that God still loves them and is chasing them down, and that there's still hope. Yeah, good. Um, I thought this this was a good one. Uh, how do we show love and support and like those with different lifestyles, cultures, habits, or choices um, that we either disagree with or just don't understand? And how are we Christ to those people? <coughs> Just be kind. I think this is where we become, I think we have to become good listeners. I think we feel like we have to say something all the time and that we have to go in and correct or fix or um, do something. But cross-cultural work, whether it be work with kids or work with someone who has a different ideology than us or someone that is from a different culture than us. I grew up in a third culture. My mom's Japanese, my dad's American, neither one of them were Christians. And my mom said she was a Buddhist, kind of like Christians often say they're Christians, but don't go to, or participate. And um, my dad said he was an agnostic. And to be quite honest, that culture helped prepare me for being um, absolutely neutral in situations. Now, my job as a Christian, as a pastor, is to move forward the kingdom of God. How we do that is, is not in judgment or not in a, in a way where we are trying to fix something, but allow God to do that through us in whatever way that we can. And it requires a lot of listening, which is why Dan takes us all on retreats and practices listening. And it takes a lot of um, putting ourselves in other people's shoes and extending compassion to them. As we would want compassion toward us, not as if we are um, better than or haughty or in any kind of prideful way that we have something that they don't, but rather that we are two beggars um, telling each other where the bread is. I always mess that saying up. Dan says it better. (laughs) (laughs) Say it then. I don't know. Just, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. But there's two beggars. You got the math right. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I got the math right. Note that, Garrett. I got the math right. <laughs> Broken clock is right twice a day. 
<laughs> you got the gist, right? <laughs> cool. So, uh, here's another question. Will family relationships remain in heaven if we are married here on earth? Will we be married in heaven? What of those who have remarried during, uh, due to death of a spouse? Will our kids still be our kids? You guys want to do a, a lighter one while you think about that? Or? <laughs> I think scripture's largely silent on this matter. Uh, Jesus gives us this one little point where somebody else asks Jesus this question, and he goes, you guys don't even know what you're talking about, and heaven will be like the angels, there won't be marriage. But then he goes on really quickly to say what he really wanted to say, and we all wish we could, like, can you go back to that part? <laughs> but we weren't, we did, that didn't happen. And so we don't, we don't have that. Um, we don't have the ability to do that. So um, scripture is largely silent. So I'm going to have to be silent on that and say I, I don't know. Um, there, are, there are religions out there that claim to tell you uh, how to keep your family structure intact and get it all lined up and what to do with previous spouses. And they've got all this stuff answered. Um, I, I, you know, I think those conceptions of God aren't good, but they're trying to answer these hard questions. So this is one of those where can I have to trust in God that uh, he created this whole universe and he created us and he, he has created an eternity for us that's going to be a great fit. Um, but he has chosen not to reveal to us the answer to this question for some reason. And I can't even speculate what the reason why he didn't tell us is, but he didn't. One thing that I'm thinking about, you know, into the next into the next age, uh, Scripture says that you know uh, we don't know fully what we will be like, but we know we will be like Him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's very enlightened. We will be enlightened creatures now uh, with immortality. And so whatever relationships we had here on earth, uh, you know, to me, I think we can look forward that they will be enhanced in ways that we probably can't comprehend at this point in time. I want to add to that. There is one, you were talking about you know, the Bible being largely silent on this. I could see some people maybe scratching their heads a little bit because there is that one passage where Jesus is like, uh, is asked specifically this question and by the Sadducees and he, you know, a man has like uh, five wives. You must have been scrolling through questions. That's how I started. Yeah. What? What? I addressed oh, that scripture. You, you must have been looking through the questions. Yep, I was looking through the questions. Okay, got it. I was just going to, yeah. Well, thing I would add is, f- like specifically for my wife, won't one lifetime with me be having suffered enough? <laughs> <laughs> she could go on cruises and... I was gonna make I was gonna make a joke about no more crying and you know tears and pain. So then you know there's probably not any children. But that's just a joke for my son out there. Because well, by the way, he left you a message. He said, uh, "To Marta, you look nice this morning. Love you. Please don't read this out loud. Um, <laughs> please don't read this out loud." <laughs> Poor pastor's kids. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, on, on this one, uh, 
I, I want to avoid getting, because this is a rabbit hole we could go down, because, uh, but I have a specific agenda in asking this question. Calvinism versus Arminianism, what is Lakeland? Please explain. So again, we could really go down that rabbit hole, but uh, I think there's some value in answering this question. I think we're a three and a half point Calvinist. Um, you know, I'm, that's actually a nobody laughs. That's it's Presbyterian a joke. If total you know. nerd joke, yeah. It's like there's five points of Calvinism. Okay, I'm not going to explain it. So, um, so or you know, you could say we're kind of like a sixty percent this or forty percent that. I, I mean. Um, what does it get around to? I think Calvinism uh, 500 years ago answered well the questions that were being asked at the time by Martin Luther and John Calvin and the rest of the Reformation. I think it answered the questions uh, of what do you do um, with the sovereignty of God. It, it rescued the church from being a works righteousness religion at the time. Uh, the Catholic Church reformed itself as a result of it. You know, uh, but do reformed or Calvinist questions today, are they relevant? And I tend to think like, no, I don't think they apply as much today. Uh, Calvinism answers Calvinist questions, which is, you know, like, duh. Um, And of course, you can run through those in big, thick books if you want. But I think these days, the idea of followership um, has more traction. You know, how do we follow Jesus? as opposed to what do we do to protect the sovereignty of God all the time, which was the big deal 500 years ago. So that's my kind of two cents on it. But, Jim, you guys, and you guys may have something more to say on it. Uh, well, I mean, the, ref, the reformers uh, in the 1500s did contribute a lot to the reforming of the church that did need reformation. Uh, uh, but I think we have to realize that, you know, uh, 1,500 years of church history passed without a lot, without some of the innovations that I believe some of the reformers brought. And in a sense, it hurt the church because it split the church into another great schism. And so, you know, uh, it can't really be called the Reformation because it didn't reform, it split. Uh, but, you know, and then we also got to know that in church history, only the Western church went through a reformation. The Eastern church never went through a reformation. They maintained uh, what they considered the ancient faith all the way through to this day. And we're talking about the Orthodox church and such. So uh, I, I try not to get hung up on, you know, the Calvinist arguments, Arminian arguments or whatever. Uh, I, I seek what, the best that I can discern what I consider the ancient faith and, the, and, 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 and bring that into, the, into our present and future context. And I think that Lakeland uh, uh, strives to do that, uh, both through your uh, retreats and looking back at uh, people prior to the Reformation that contributes to prayer and spirituality and stuff. Yeah, on spirituality yeah. stuff. And you know, things, theology, yeah. which is weird because we're splitting spirituality and theology, which is such a Western uh, well, thing. Well, yeah, and that's, not, and that's not a split. You yeah. Know, and, 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 and in, the, in the ancient church's mind, or, right. or I believe in our mind either. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Uh, 
maybe it's a split in terms of what we how we practice things culturally. I'm not disagreeing as much as I'm saying is that when when someone who's new walks in that door, they may see us do the sign of the cross. Well, that's a very liturgical, you know, high church movement there that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And so that's more of a cultural thing. That's a spiritual practice that we've leaned into because we believe that's a body prayer, right? Um, but it has some theological roots that we've also, we might agree with or we might disagree with. And we, we have then a whole world of things that we can discuss about what was original sin. How did God ontologically create us? Did we... You know, those are all thoughts that... Did you say ontologically? Ontologically wow. create us in a way. How, what's our being? What? How did he create us? Did we come out sinful out of our, you know, or did, were we eventually going to sin anyway? Those are all thoughts between Calvinism and Arminism that we could go down a rabbit hole on mm -hmm. and um, that are important because it influences the way mm -hmm. we all do things around here. So I think it's a great question, mm -hmm. um, but it's also a deep one that some of us in here have never even thought about. We just sit there and, well, I didn't go to seminary, right? Mm -hmm. I got through seminary because this guy over here but, and these guys. But those are things that are important to think about. Those are things we should have classes on. Yeah, we should. I, I think if you're looking for a book on this sort of thing, any Dallas Willard, um, you know, the dean of philosophy at USC, Years ago, died just a few years from Buffalo, Missouri. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Just on the way down to Springfield. So, uh, but any of his books will focus on. And Willard said, uh, what we have today as a result of the Reformation and getting boiled down to just Jesus' blood, he just says, we're all a bunch of vampire Christians. We only want Jesus' blood. And we don't really care about how he lived his life and what he told everybody how to live, you know. So we've, we've become highly infatuated and obsessive about the idea of how do we get saved? How do we get saved? Saved, saved, saved. And leads to stuff like the rapture and mm -hmm. all sorts of other kind of really narrowed stuff. When out there in all of Christianity is all this stuff you guys are talking about. How do we live the life? You know, great, you're saved. You know, you know, go to the book of James, which Martin Luther, by the way, wanted to throw out. You know, show me your, you know, faith. Fine, you know, you show me your works and I'll show you your faith. You know what I mean? Like, live the life. Let's focus on that. All things disappear. Sin, you know, disobedience, all the rest of it. Like, let's talk about living the life, you know, and trust that Jesus is saving us. Yeah? Saved us. I was predestined to ask us to do the next question. Perfect. Um, okay. Good idea. So... That was, that was nice. That was a nice touch. Um, so this person has asked, uh, and this kind of encompasses several different questions that uh, we've gotten. So this person said, it feels like we avoid political issues that are addressed in the Bible, and some of those that have come up are LGBT issues or uh, abortion is another one that's come up. Um, uh, honestly, a, a handful of, uh, those are the ones that have come up the most. Um, is this because it would endanger our tax exempt status or why do we, uh, not talk about those things more than we do? Tax exempt status, huh? Yeah. I don't think, I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'd be worried. We go back to being portable church if we lose the building. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> I've done that before. We can do that again. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, what was the question? No, I mean, I think um, the what we're trying to protect is the unity of the community, of the church. 
And it is, Lakeland is a place where we're not monolithic and we all have to believe the same thing, you know, and we're all like in lockstep. I think around here, we realize everyone's uh, got various opinions. There's a lot of messiness and there's a variety. So we have a pretty wide spectrum of uh, tolerable, acceptable, loving uh, type beliefs around here. And I guess you're talking politics here with these various things, at least how they're expressed right now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, ultimately, as an old guy, I'm like, this too shall pass. But, um, you know, uh, just give it enough time and it'll, it'll change and morph. But I think we're trying to protect the community around here. I, I think it's the one thing that the church has uh, in this day and age in the last eight years is the church is a village. And we, you know, in every village, you know, there's a variety of people, but you live with them, you know, and you can't separate yourself from them. We're all handcuffed together. And uh, that's the body of Christ. I'd say that we, I don't know if we avoid it all that much. I think we do talk about political issues. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that I don't know, think we're making it political. We're here to spread the gospel, to preach the gospel, to be the kingdom of God, to uh, start it here right now. And some of those things that are scriptural happen to turn political. Let's be, let's be honest. Scripture's been around way longer. Jesus came long time ago, well before America was even, you know, established. And so the issues that are described in Scripture are things that have been issues forever. And um, race and um, sexuality, marriage, all those things were questions that were asked in Scripture that we're sticking to. Now, how that becomes political ends up becoming political because of how our country legislates things. But that's not what we're making it. It became political well before, you know, well after we're trying to preach the gospel. So I think we do address those things, but we are trying to protect unity at the same time. Jesus was political. Yeah, I've been looking for years for someone to help us interface with uh, Rachel House here in Lee Summit, um, uh, which um, uh, helps gals who are considering abortion to, you know, consider other better options. So I have not yet found a leader here in our congregation who will help us connect to that cause. So I really, on this one, need the passion to come from our congregation if there is indeed a passion uh, for this among us. So if you if you have that passion, please talk to me. I am I'm actively looking for someone to help our church uh, move into the arena of, of, of serving and protecting the unborn. LGBTQ, I gave all last year and several years leading up to it on that. So I, I'm, I'm just hoping whoever wrote that question just maybe wasn't around last year. That'd be fine. Otherwise, I'm tired. From, from last year and addressing that so much. Yeah. Um, and on that, there is, is it on the podcast that there's the four parts? The videos, yeah, yeah, we have like six videos on okay. our website, each one an hour, because this is a very complex issue, yes, that you can visit on our, on our website um, to talk about LGBTQ in, uh, in the Bible, and then one for our culture, one for the church one for our own families and then a couple of guest speakers a fine talk on dan on just worldview 
So if, if you really want to go deep on that, you know, and you've got an extra eight hours to interface with it, it is there for your um, edification. And then we're here to talk about it afterward. Um, so this person asks, well, first they say, I am all, there's a lot of L's, for women pastors. But most of my family claim that this is unbiblical. Uh, wh- can you help me understand where Lakeland gets its, uh, sorry, I'm trying to rephrase this so it's a little shorter. Can you help me understand where Lakeland gets its biblical basis for women pastors so I can explain this to my family? Yeah, Go for Timothy. it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them, Marta. It's first, first Timothy. And uh, of course, um, yeah, it, I went into uh, seminary not really understanding it. I, I thought it said uh, a woman shall not exercise authority over a man and uh, the authentio. Um, and I, through biblical work, changed my opinion on it, mm-hmm. you know, and we um, joined a denomination that allowed for individual churches to decide whether or not they wanted to have women pastors. And then uh, in our presbytery, there were some other churches that said they would vote against Marta being uh, ordained as a female. And I thought, hey, man, I thought we were all, like, just saying, like, no big deal. You know, you guys do what you're going to do and allow us to do what we're going to do, and they weren't going to allow us to do it, so we left So uh, over that one issue. So um, I think it's an important thing, and I, I believe that it is scriptural, but it is that passage right there, and I think you dig into the Greek hard on the thing and do your serious exegetical work on discerning that passage. But I think it comes out uh, as a particular moment in Paul's writing where he's really writing about something else and not just about women. He's writing about a particular situation where women were outspoken. Women had never been allowed past the veil in the synagogue. I mean, you know, in the temple, I mean. And uh, so they didn't quite know how to behave. They had a different behavior out. And there were some women, I guess, even Hellenized women, meaning Greek-influenced, that could have been more outspoken. I think Paul's talking about something entirely different than how it gets applied and used today. Yeah, I've done quite a few years of study in that in this area. And he also has a seven-part podcast that you may look up on our website. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and some papers and such like that. But uh, if you look at the overall view of Paul's writings, and there's not... Uh, land on a couple of, uh, of texts and stuff, you'll see how much involvement women had with Paul in the ministry. He called them co-workers, the same as he called Timothy a co-worker. Uh, you know, uh, just look at Romans chapter 16. Mm-hmm. If, you under, if you can detect the gender of the Greek names, uh, the majority of those are women. Matter of fact, it was Phoebe, a woman deacon, if you read the Greek text, that delivered and read the letter to the Roman church from Paul. And, uh, but, you know, if you really are interested in the subject and such, uh, just see me personally. I'm always uh, happy to try to uh, uh, talk on that subject. And on that note, uh, I've been given the, the word that 
stones will be thrown at me from over there if I don't uh, wrap things up pretty soon. Uh, not out of hate, just out of getting my attention, to be clear. I don't want to throw Beth under the bus there. But on that note, of what you're saying, Jim. Uh, there are so many good questions that we didn't get to here, and some of them literally just because they kind of, like I was trying to address a wide array of questions. So one, I don't think, uh, you know, uh, there were so many good questions that we didn't get to address. So after we're done, I mean, this doesn't have to end this conversation. Um, grab one of us or, or someone else uh, out in the lobby and, and let's have conversations. Let's grab coffee with each other and, and talk about these things because these are important things and meaningful things. Uh, and, and I know everybody up here is very, very uh, open to continuing these conversations. So. Taylor, thank you for moderating for us. And, and Thanks, thank you, Marta and Dad and Dan. Thank you for your questions and thank you for being in a, helping us form a community where questions are allowed. Amen.